they create a culture of fear rather than a culture of achievement. And I, there's no question in my mind, John, that a culture of achievement will always be the culture of fear. An athlete motivated to achieve will always beat an athlete motivated to avoid punishment. And particularly when, when talent is equated or, you know, one athlete has a bit more talent or a team has more talent, but they're motivated by fear, but the other team has slightly lesser talent, but they're motivated to achieve. When those two teams meet more often than not, the motivation to achieve the team that believes is more likely the team that will win. Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Nick's. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome to the show. Today, I have a fantastic guest. It's somebody that for probably five or six or seven years that I've wanted to personally have a conversation with because I know the influence that he has had on the person that has influenced me a ton. And that is one Tim Kite, probably better known as TK. He's the CEO and founder of Focus 3, which Focus 3 has as a focus to maximize leaders, build an outstanding culture, and make an extreme positive impact on people. Been teaching the R Factor, which everybody that follows this show and follows me has heard of the R Factor for a long time, 30 plus years. The book Above the Line that was written by um, Urban Meyer is never written without Tim Kite. He runs the Focus 3 podcast. He's been the leadership coach for Ohio State when Urban Meyer was there. Um, now at USC with Lincoln Riley, and he is the father to one BK Bronkite, who has already been on this show and has been an influence to me and something we talked about um, before we got started, um, um, Tim, was your influence on so many people that you have no idea about. I'm going to mm-hmm. say before today, you did not know I existed, but I will promise you this, you can walk into businesses in Nixon, Missouri, and there'll be signs that say E plus R equals O, or there'll be signs that say DMGB, or there'll be R factor signs in a real estate business here because Brian influenced me like that. And it made such an impact in my life that I influenced or am influencing other people. And I know that starts with you. I've really been dying to you know, talk to you and ask you questions and let you give me a masterclass on the R factor. So welcome to the show. I appreciate um, you taking the time to do this. Thanks, John. I appreciate uh, you having me on the show. You know, it sounds to me like Focus 3 needs to do a workshop in Nixon, Missouri. Missouri. It sounds like we need to make a, uh, a visit to your town and and uh, have have a session there in town. I can promise you that I can make that happen. I can assure you, man, we are a town of 
very much a growth mindset. We are about bringing people in here, you know, like I would be more than interested and we can make that happen. This is my first uh, question or my first thing. I know um, a little bit about your background, you know, a big Ohio State fan. I think maybe went to Ohio State first then transferred to UCLA. The influence of John Wooden, you know, like Mm -hmm. tell me about that on your life. Yeah, Coach Coach Wooden obviously is legendary. Uh, his 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 track, his success record, first as a player, and then as a coach, is tremendous. Although he didn't start successfully at UCLA, he learned along the way, and didn't win his first championship till many years into that. But when I transferred, I had the opportunity to watch him coach. Uh, I ran track. He coached basketball. Uh, our locker room was in the same building as basketball. So I got to see it. He and I got to talk multiple times. And it was just so uniquely obvious. It was it was obvious he was uniquely different than other coaches. And I began to observe and take notes. And and there are many things that dis- distinguish him. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you one of them that I still teach to this day when I do workshops for coaching staffs. And, and that's this, that the job of a coach is to communicate educate and motivate, not intimidate. And I'll share that again. The job of a coach is to communicate, educate and motivate, but not intimidate. And what happens is that many coaches get angry too quickly and too easily. They get frustrated and they end up getting they intimidate whether they know they're doing it or not. And they sure. try to browbeat their athletes into doing better. There's a, they, they create a culture of fear rather than a culture of achievement. And I, there's no question in my mind, John, that a culture of achievement will always be the culture of fear. An athlete motivated to achieve will always beat an athlete motivated to avoid punishment. And particularly when, when talent is equated, or, you know, one athlete has a bit more talent or a team has more talent, but they're motivated by fear. But the other team has slightly lesser talent, but they're motivated to achieve. When those two teams meet, more often than not, the motivation to achieve, the team that believes is more likely the team that will win. So I picked up from Coach Wooden, communicate, educate, motivate. Now, here's for those coaches who are listening to this podcast let me make this crystal clear. And I'm, no, I'm going into coach mode myself here, sure. which is hard not to do because right in the middle, I just came from USC's first game. I was in LA for our, our game against San Jose State and pretty cool. I totally unexpected. Lincoln Riley presented me with a game ball in the locker room following the game. Wow. Which was, was quite a, even a little bit emotional for me because I was just sitting in the back and I wasn't even, I was just watching and doing my job of observing him and the staff and the guys and, taking notes and he calls me up and gives me the game ball is pretty cool. But when I speak to coaching staffs, I make this message to them. You look across the field at the coaches you're coaching against and look at, you know, if you're a D line, look at the O line coach for the other team. If you're a, a running backs coach, look at the linebacker coach, Remember, you get it. head coach, you, you get the picture. And here you are competing against that coach's ability to communicate, educate, and motivate. And whatever coach is more skillful at communication, education, and motivation has an enormous competitive advantage. 
Same for the business people listening to this. And I just see way too many coaches, John, who who get angry too quickly. And it just it it's we've got to get over that. And it's all over the place. It's it's maybe most severe in football, but it's not that's not the only sport where it happens. So I, I would say among the things that Coach Wooden most impressed on my heart was what I just said. Well, TK, uh listening to your podcast, I mean, this was probably a year, two, three years ago. You and Urban Meyer um start doing it after Brian does not. Um and I remember Urban Meyer saying, and it man, it just stuck with me. The louder a coach screams and yells, the more he tells everybody he has no idea what he's doing. You know, like yeah. that's not coaching. And I would say, you know, like what what you just said about looking across on the other sideline is fantastic. And I've never thought about that. But I have thought about when I look over there and that other head coach is physically throwing a temper tantrum. I think I'm winning. You know, like I think mm-hmm. I'm winning because what's he throwing a temper tantrum about? You know, like something's going our way and not his way. Um, I am a huge John Wooden fan. Like I think if you if you ask me two people that I could meet today of anybody in the world, one would be Jesus and two would be John Wooden because he was exceptional. I've read every single book that has been written about the man. And, you know, I think you having the, um, you know, the ability to meet him and learn from him early on had to be a pretty good influence um, on your life, you know? So I thought that was pretty, pretty impressive. The next thing well, I was there, there, by the way, there's one other thing about meeting coach Wooden that's relevant. And that is I was 19 years old when I went to UCLA. Oh, right. And, and what's ironic about it, when I was going through the recruiting process, when I left Ohio State, uh, I was recruited by USC, UCLA, and Villanova for track. And I actually flew straight from Philadelphia to Los Angeles, uh, Phil- Villanova being in, in, in Philadelphia. And I, and I went to UCLA and Coach Bush, the track coach, picked me up and went to the student union to have a late lunch. And the very first person I met at UCLA, other than my track coach, was John Wooden sitting there having lunch. And and it was not choreographed. It was it was serendipitous. But when I look back at at those early years and my interfacing with John Wooden, a great deal of the impact he had on me was as I later reflected on it. It, it got my attention as a 19 and 20 year old, but not to the degree that it got my attention when I started coaching high school football. Sure. After, when I graduated from UCLA, I became a coach in a high school, not a head coach, an assistant coach on staff in a local high school in Los Angeles, track and football. And all of a sudden I thought to myself, what kind of a coach do I want to be? How am I going to approach what I do? Sure. And all of a sudden I thought back to what did I learn from Coach Wooden? And what did he do? And so, and even now I continue to think back and, and over the years. So it wasn't that immediately at 19 or 20, that stuff became evident sure. to me. I just observed it, notated it, and it wasn't until later that it sunk in how profound it was the way he approached coaching. Yes, understandable. You know, at 19 or 20, if I have a chance to meet John Wooden, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot to me at the time because my mind was not where it needed to be at 19 and 20. All right, let's, let me ask you this, because I have often wondered this. I mean, you have no idea how many times I've thought about this. Where did the R factor come from? Like, where did it come from? Like, where were you in your life? What was going on? You know, where did you, 
you know, pull it from, create it from? Like, where did where did the R factor come from? It's a great question. It gets asked fairly often. And I'm going to go back to those same early years at UCLA. In addition to meeting Wooden and then doing well, when I, I, I met Coach Wooden, it was evident that he did things differently. And then I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Fantastic. And I don't know if your listeners know of that book. They, do. they haven't. Go, go out and buy it. It's, it's must-reading. And again, for a quick background, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist practicing in Vienna, Austria at the outbreak of World War II. And he and his pregnant wife and his entire family, his sister was out of the country, so she didn't get caught up. But they got incarcerated in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. He never saw his wife again, never saw his unborn baby, never saw his mom and dad again. But he observed himself and he wrote a book about that experience in the concentration camps. And as I read that book as a youngster, as a, you know, at UCLA, and, I, and the other thing for me reading that book, John, in 1971, I was the national champion of my track event in high school. Wow. And had tied the national record. There were two national championship meets. I won both of them and tied the national record in my second one. So I go to UCLA and I'm pretty, pretty too big for my britches. Sure. I'm I'm feeling pretty, pretty cool about myself. I read Man's Search for Meaning, and it drove me to my knees. It described in there, he describes this mindset about navigating life's most horrendous diversity, uh, adversity, I should say, a concentration camp where every day you're, you could die. People, the prisoners dying and being tortured and sure. all the horrors of that, unspeakable horrors. And he talks about, about they could take away my liberty, but they could never take away my freedom, which in man's final freedom is his ability to choose how his attitude in response to any situation in life. And he described, you know, the, the fences were electrified. And when the Jewish prisoners despaired of things, they would throw themselves on the electrified fence to commit suicide, to yeah. avoid the horrors of the deaths that, that, that they would potentially experience. And when I read that, I thought to myself, that would have been me. Yes. I wasn't that kind of a person. I wasn't that tough. I wasn't that wise. I wasn't that strong. I didn't have that inner hold he talks about. He even says in the book, he says, if I survive this, I want it to be found worthy of my sufferings. Mm. Mm. So I devoured that book. And that was the birth of my quest to discover why certain people respond more effectively to the situations of life than other people. And why I started studying neuroscience and developmental psychology and performance psychology and sociology and history. And what, what is it inside? Where, do you, where does this come from? Uh, as good as Dr. Frankel's book is, it doesn't give any how-to. It gives a what. It describes thoughts and ideas, but it, there, there's no tools. And so I began to study and try to find the tools. And uh, that my, my initial program I wrote was called Personal Best. And that was life skills or mental skills for performing at your best, no matter the situation. And in the course of that, I ran across this formula, E plus R equals O. I did not come up with that. No yeah. one knows who did. 
No one knows who the first architect was. Sure. Rumor has it some psychologist in Los Angeles, but no, no one can nail it down. It's public domain. But as I working with E plus R equals O, and a lot of this conversation happened with my son, Brian, when he worked with me, is all right, that's the formula we're going to use. That's going to be the framework we're going to use to house the tools that people need to use to navigate the stuff of life to produce outcomes, again, no matter the situation. So I, I morphed personal best life skills and mental skills into this E plus R equals O framework. And that was the birth of the R factor. That hope is- that, I hope that's a, that's a helpful description of the origin of it. Very much, very much so. And, you know, several years ago, I asked Brian um, what was, you know, a couple of the best books he's ever read. And I we had brought Brian to Mississippi to speak to all of our high school football coaches at a clinic. And, you know, we were traveling one night, went out to eat. And he said, man, search for meaning. And I had not read it. And this was five, six, seven years ago. So I took a 12-hour trip to St. Augustine. I listened to the book. On the return trip, 12-hour trip, St. Augustine back, I listened to the book again. And it was the most impactful thing. And I still, to this day, if I have a bad day this morning, you know, me and my wife's taking a walk and, you know, we're talking about this or that. And when I have a bad day, you know, like I still think about that man in that concentration camp. You know, one thing that sticks out to me is he would take a sharp object and shave with a sharp object so that his face looked more red so that he looked a little younger so that he could, you know, be spared a longer, you know, and just in, in a, in an effort to stay alive, you know, like, and I just, I don't know, it is a fantastic book that is transformational. And we have um, talked about that a good bit. Let me ask you this. E plus R equals O. I got that. Where, where did like DMGB, where was, where was that? Like, you know, where did that come from? Well, that stands for doesn't matter, get better. And the, it really comes from the sixth R factor discipline. There are six disciplines when sure. we step back. And, and again, the thesis is observe and document how high performers respond differently than average performers or how to effective people respond differently than average people. Because we all, at the end of the day, we get three kinds of events, John. We get helpful events. We get neutral events. We get painful events. And we all get all three categories. No one is exempt from category three. No one's exempt from from difficulty, adversity, and painful stuff. The question is, how do you respond? All of our power resides in the R, in the response. You don't control events. You don't even control outcomes. You influence them. You produce them. You earn them. But you earn them by the quality of your response. And the sixth R factor discipline, the final one, is build skill. And the R factor, if you think about it, E plus R equals O, how you respond is one of the few things in life, maybe the only thing in life, that you can evaluate and improve. I mean, you can't make the directly affect the E, you can't directly affect the O, you, you, you indirectly affect it by how you respond. The thesis then of doesn't matter, get better, is that you earn outcomes by the quality of your response. And if you're not getting the outcomes you want, improve your R factor. And if you if you have a successful R, fantastic, go get better. Sure. You have a, you have a difficult. You didn't respond the right way. Well, go figure it out. And go get better. The O and how about this? Doesn't matter. Get better means this. The O is feedback about your skill at managing the R. It's wow. feedback. Sure. 
Well, it's feedback. Our, our parents in Nixon, Missouri, at the very first initial parent meeting, they get the definition of DMGB, and this is this is the way it comes to them. And you know, some coaches say they don't talk about playing time. I'm, I'm more than welcome. I'll talk about playing time anytime you want. If you're not, you know, but this is if you're not getting what you want out of football, if you're not getting what you want out of your relationship, if you're not getting what you want out of your job, it's one or two things, right? One, you're not good enough. Or two, you know, you're not trying hard enough. But either way, the answer is it doesn't matter. Get better. So if you want to come talk about playing time, come on. You're going to get one of those two answers. You know, your son's not trying hard enough. John, John, there's a third one. Oh, give it to me. Yeah. If you're not going to owe that you want, it can also be that you're good enough. You just haven't done it long enough. Ooh, I like it. I like it. And to your point, okay, you're not going to believe this. And our people listening is not going to see this. But I'm going to show you where you can probably see it. This is a PowerPoint that I did this morning. It's a PowerPoint. Okay, um, That's it. Oh, there you go. The edge. That's it. You talked about it in that in that pot in the, in the podcast. Oh, yeah. And man, I'm going to tell you what. I went over it yesterday. I drew it up on the the board as I visualized it. So I do want to get you to talk about that in a minute. But that is that is the n- number three is if you you may be good enough, but what you haven't done it long enough wow i love in it. other words i i can be good at something today but in order to produce the outcome i have to be good at it for a whole year that that, that, that the best outcomes don't come from a single or one or two r factors it comes from a whole bunch of them sure here here is the here's the really cool message around that it's called grit or perseverance, or you can call it lots of different things, which is why we start the edge with be relentless in focus and effort. Yes. Here's the point. It's the cumulative impact of discipline action repeated daily over time. The best outcomes in life come from the cumulative impact of discipline-driven actions repeated daily over time. The worst outcomes in life come from the cumulative impact of default actions. Hmm repeated daily over time. Mm. You're going to do something every day. You're going to be discipline driven. You're going to be default driven. Amen. And, and if you slip into default, you're going to get a default outcome. Mm. So the, the, the third thing to think about when you're not going to owe that you want is, yeah, you're doing the right things and you're doing the right way. Just got to keep doing them. It's a perseverance thing. It's amazing. You've heard the old adage. It isn't the 100th blow that, that, that knocked down the wall. It was the 99 that preceded it. Sure. That's the analogy. Sure. Add add that then to your list. If you're not going to owe that you want, good enough, hard enough, long enough. Hey, is there is there an easier analogy than weight? You know, and you think about, you know, like, you know, 18 months ago or so, I went to the doctor for a physical and my weight was astronomical. I had not ever seen a number that big, you know, but- it didn't happen in a day, you know, that did that, that happened over time. So then from that doctor's visit, I decided that I was going to start walking every day, which at first was a very little bit because I couldn't walk very far. And in the past 12 months, I've lost 80 pounds, but it was just Congrats. 30 minutes incremental. Of every day. Incremental. incremental, incremental, man. It wasn't, you know, and, and that's so much of life. So let's do this. Let's do the edge because I thought, it was fantastic because I, I do believe that, okay, in my weight, in my, in my journey as a human with weight, you know, in my journey to 
Like I've always wanted to write a book. Didn't do it. Right. Haven't done it because, you know, like I just didn't, I got to a point and it was too hard or it was too complicated or it scared me or whatever, you know, like get me through the edge, get me to that point, you know, where maybe I just haven't done it long enough. You know, maybe it is adversity has creeped in, you know, like, how do I get over the hump? How do I bust through that wall, you know, that has brought itself up in front of me? The edge is a metaphor that we use to describe everyone's journey. And the diagram that we use is imagine on the left-hand side of a PowerPoint or left-hand side of a piece of paper is a box that says where you are now. On the right-hand side of the PowerPoint or the chalkboard, or a piece of paper, it says what's possible. And then between those two boxes, between where you are now and what's possible, is a line, a horizontal line. And that line represents the work you have to do to move from today, where you are now, to what's possible. The daily action you have to engage in, the skill building you've got to do, the effort you've got to put in. But along the way, there's a vertical line that we call the edge. That vertical line represents where the journey, and we call that line from left to right, the work, that's the, that's the journey. Call it the work, call it the journey, call it the process, to go you know, use Nick Saban's term. Sure. That's what that is. Right? But along that journey, along that work, along that process, there's a vertical line. And that's called the edge because it represents where that journey gets very difficult. Typically, it gets difficult because it's something you haven't done before. It's a skill you don't have or a level of skill that you don't have. Or even more, it's a talent you weren't born with, but a skill that you need, despite the fact that you weren't born with that talent. And thus, when you get to the edge, the only way to get a breakthrough is to make five decisions. And what's unique, John, about those five decisions and what's unique about getting a breakthrough at the edge is no talent required. Again, when you look at the diagram, imagine, the, the, again, you've got current state on, the, on where you are now on the left and then what's possible on the right and on that journey. Everything to the left-hand side of the edge line is pretty much talent-related. But when you get to that difficulty, when you get to that hard thing, it's not a talent issue. It's a discipline issue. It's a decision issue. And here are the five decisions. And you need all of them. Four don't work. You got to have five. And you, are, you put them on your PowerPoint. Be relentless in focus and effort. Embrace productive discomfort. Use mistakes as feedback. Defeat fear. And be coachable. And as simple as those five things may sound, and I've taught this a long time. They're, those are not easy decisions to make at the edge because your mind and your body scream at you, stop. You're okay. You don't have to do that. All, and all of them matter. Mike. We, we don't tend to be relentless people. Our relentless focus, no, we wander. We lose focus all the time. Yeah. Relentless effort, no, we don't always give max effort. Our effort goes up and down and very inconsistent. Embrace productive discomfort. People hate discomfort. Sure. Use mistakes as feedback. People hate to get feedback. They hate mistakes. Defeat fear. Most people live in fear. 
and then we tend not to be coachable. I, I, you look at those five decisions, and I've not had anyone say to me they don't matter. Everyone who sees the edge and sees those five say, holy cow, that's life-changing if I did it. My team would be different if we did it. I would coach differently. I would parent differently. I'd be married differently. I would weigh something differently if I made those five decisions. But they're hard. Yeah, it's hard. Again, again, I want to underscore, though, the good news. You don't have to have talent to make the decisions. One other thing I would I would like to underline with regard to the edge is it's a lot easier to do it when you're with other people. It's on a team where there's mm-hmm. encouragement and support and accountability and love. And, and that that is why a team committed to the edge, the five decisions, is so important. Because where I may not embrace productive discomfort, you and I are teaming together on something and you say, TK, come on, man, embrace productive discomfort. Go do the hard thing. If you want great things, TK, do the hard things. I love you. I care about you. Go. Push me. I'm, I'm much more likely to do it if, if you and I are, are teaming together. Sure. Man, a couple thoughts. Number one, I had a kid. I've had a kid that, um, you know, is at a college right now, and he's struggling a little bit because they're going to redshirt him, you know, and he was fantastic, fantastic, super, super. What position? Running back, super. Well, I thought about this yesterday. When I put this in there, I thought about him, okay? Like, you're redshirting. You're not getting what you want. You might be at the edge if you will, number one, be relentless in your focus and effort. If number two, you'll em- embrace it not being like you want, you know, like being uncomfortable. If you'll use this opportunity to receive feedback and get better, if you will, you know, defeat fear, not don't don't be scared about redshirting. Don't, don't, don't think that whatever, more of yourself. And number five, be coachable. What a blessing getting red shirting could be. What a blessing it could be if you embraced mm-hmm. it because there's going to be a bunch of other stars on that team that red shirt that are not going to do it. So it actually could be, that could be the edge for, for that kid, you know, and that's a totally awesome way to look at life. And I think you would agree with this. You and I both have been, you know, defeated by the edge in various things that we do, whether it's a weight journey, whether it's a book, whether it's a, you know, some other something in our life, you know, that we just weren't good enough at the time or we didn't push hard enough or we didn't, you know, like it is um, difficult. My other thought was this. I heard Greg Hardy, who was a sports psychologist at uh, Michigan when Tom Brady was there, Desmond Howard, um, um, the Michael Phelps, I heard him say when asked the question, why is Tom Brady different from everybody else? He said, he just kind of giggled and laughed. And he said two things, hungry and humble. He's hungrier than everybody else, you know, which is the relentless focus and effort. And he was mm-hmm. humble in that he wanted to be coached. He wanted to learn. He wanted to, you know, take in everything he could. And I thought, you know, I thought that was a fantastic answer to why some people are different, you know, like some people don't get to the wall and turn around, you know, some people rev that joker up, you know, and it's time to go. Um, 
Let me do this real quick, and then I'm going to get. Well, to- let me let me let me let me make a comment about yes. your, your former player who's been who's being redshirting, and that is that that is this clear feedback the coaching staff is telling him that that, and I don't know exactly what they have said, but but if they're redshirting him, they're saying that we believe you have potential, we believe you can be a, a huge impact player for our football team, and you're not ready. Sure. So you need a year of development and let's not burn a year of eligibility while you get better. It's a doesn't matter, get better moment for him. I and mean, it's an edge and he needs to embrace those five decisions and use the red shirt year to simply take his play to the next level. And all of his focus and energy should go into simply improving his game and being a running back at the collegiate level. You got to pass, you got to pass, you got, you got to be a, a receiver. You got to receive the ball. You got to pass block. And you got to run the, the ball. You got to, there are all kinds of things you need to do. The other thing I, I would tell him is this. So, would you like to be third string, not red shirt, but be, be number three in the depth chart, not get enough playing time, but have burned an entire year of eligibility? I mean, a, a red shirt year for a, a relatively good athlete is a very positive thing to your point, John, if you use it wisely. And it, it, it should be a huge motivation. So I, the number of great athletes that have gone on to significant success who redshirted. Yeah, no doubt. Huge list. No doubt. There's well, no reason to be negative about redshirting. No, no reason. Doubt. Well, what's, what's the alternative? Like what if you don't embrace it and what if you let it affect you negatively? What's going to happen? Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all, football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian caps can help protect that helmet investment. Well, here's the big here's the big message again that I tell players all the time, and that is mental state affects physical performance. Your mental we know this the, the mind body yeah. connection, that your 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 state of mind your mental state affects your physical performance. If you're mentally distracted, you're physically diminished. If negativity is blowing through your brain because you got redshirted, you are not going to maximize your development. No doubt. And and, and same thing if you're same thing if you're if you're a starter, if you're a starter and you don't practice the five disciplines, if you're a factor a, a starter and you resist coaching or you you haven't defeated fear or you, and I, I know starters who are super super talented who don't reach their full potential because they don't make the five decisions we just described. Right, right. Well, the the answer um, when Tom Brady went in as a 19 year old to the guy at Michigan and started telling him that he was thinking about transferring and he didn't feel like the coaches liked him and he didn't feel like he was getting a fair shake. Um, Greg Hardy told him, said, you know, go ahead and transfer. I don't care. I mean, like, we don't care. You're not the starter now. You know what I'm saying? Like, if that's the way you want to handle that, then, you know, get on about your business or, or you can put your head down and go to work and prove them wrong. You can put your head down and go to work and prove that you are, somebody worthy of playing time and he obviously took the second route you know what i'm saying and mm-hmm. chose to embrace that and that's you know i think that's awesome and i think that's a great way to look at it and we are in control of our you know thoughts you know and how my guy embraces that will 
ultimately decide how year two, three, and four go, you know, and that's no question. But that, and the challenge that we all have, it's always been true, but I, I think today more so than ever, we, we live in a society that is pretty mentally weak. Amen. And one of the great contributions of athletics is developing mental strength, learning how to develop the kind of a mindset. We always say that our factor is a mindset first and a skill set second. But this, John, goes back to what we said at the outset when your question is to me about John Wooden. And that really is, are we as coaches teaching mindset? And more importantly, what kind of mindset are we Mm-hmm. Are we example? Are we setting for our athletes? And yeah. I know this is something that I, I've, you know, Urban and I talk about it a great deal when he was on the podcast with me, and it's something BK and I have talked about over the years. And I talk about it all the time with the coaching staffs that I work with is that please don't ask your athletes to display a level of mindset that you yourself don't display. So if you blow up and get angry at an official over a bad call, if you're screaming and yelling at an athlete all the time. And again, I agree with Urban. I, I think, well, I know he and I, we we both have believed the same thing. And then that's one of the reasons we got along is his philosophy and his his belief on this stuff is the same. When I came along, I gave language to what Urban already believed. He just, he didn't have a sure. system for it. Sure. And I brought the system in and that that's why we had success at Ohio State. And same thing happened at USC now with Coach Riley, but but this notion of the, the the more you yell, the more you're you're displaying. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how to do your job. Right. But that's why it, it, most coaches don't teach their players how to be mentally tough. I mean, it, and I say this: if you're not going to teach them how to be mentally tough, don't tell them to be mentally tough. Right. A high school kid who's 16 years old, he doesn't know how to be mentally tough. When you yell, get tougher, be tougher. What he doesn't know how to do that. Right. Where, where would he know how to do that? Where, where would he get that from? TikTok? Sure. <laughs> Instagram? He ain't getting it from TikTok. And I just, I, 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 my heart breaks for all these, these, these players, these young people at, at youth football and middle school and high school, and even the collegiate and NFL level, where coaches are yelling and screaming and telling them to do stuff, and they're not taught how. Which is why I'm so motivated to teach what we teach, is to sure. get it to coaching staffs and get it to players. Well, that's one thing Brian and I have talked about is, man, coaches need it so bad because, and I don't oh know where it broke down. I don't know where, you know, but it is. And I guess because, and and we can get into this in a minute, but default is a whole lot easier than discipline, right? It comes natural, you know, so that is probably where it lies. One of the things that drew me in so much to the R factor, and you said the word earlier, you know, it's a system. You know, it is a system that I, I need. A, I need a system. If you give me a system, I can execute. If you don't give me a system and you leave me to run on default, I'm not good. You know, so when I got, you know, pause, get your mind right, step up, adapt and adjust, make a difference, build skill, like boom, boom, boom. Like all of a sudden I had the ability to pause, you know, like when I learned to pause life, changed you know like when i learned to pause and not react to my i've i've had my daughter say you know like my dad was terrible and my brother's dad was good you know like i learned the r factor like life changed you know and i mean i i concur you know like 
me and my wife both would fly off the handle and, you know, not respond appropriately. But then we learned a system that was life changing. Before I get into my next question, tell me where, you know, somebody listening can go to learn more, you know, about what you're doing, about the R factor, about the edge, you know, um, yeah. coach us up. The best place to go is our website. A couple of things. Go to our website, focus3.com. Lots of resources there. A lot of free resources. We just started a direct to email newsletter, which comes out every Tuesday morning, which I would encourage you, John, and anybody else in the system to sign up. It's really cool. Every Tuesday morning, direct your email. It's there on the website. Uh, we've relaunched Two Minutes with TK, which is the YouTube channel, and that comes out every Monday morning. And I, I typically post that on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. And, and on our website also, we offer the R Factor online. We offer a self-directed, we call it virtual training, where anybody can get R Factor training, the whole system. Get a one-year subscription. That come, you can do it through your, 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 your iPad, your, your laptop, your desktop, even on your phone. And it's, it's, we made it very affordable. And it's a, it's a great way to get it. Each of the segments is no longer than five minutes, but we go through all the things you just talked about. 20 square feet, discipline over default, E plus R equals O, chapter on press pause, chapter on get your mind right, chapter on step up. That's all available via our website, focus3.com. And they can follow me on Twitter at, or X, I guess now it's called. Yes. Uh, at, at Timothy Kite. I'm also on LinkedIn. So that's the best way to get access to our content. And, you know, you don't know this, but I, I, for one, think it's fantastic. I have taken two of the virtual courses I know. Like I took the uh, R Factor, um, R Factor for teachers or coaches or whatever it was. I took the R Factor course. I took, I took our kids through the R Factor for players. You know, I took our team through that. It was fantastic. Um, and I took one, um, Lead Now and Trust. Um, you know, and man – they were awesome. You know, like I went through and, and because I'm like that, like I went through and took the course and I actually typed up the entire course. Like I have them on my Good computer. For you. I read through them. Like I, you know, like because it meant that much to me. So I would, anybody listening, I would say, um, you know, go to the website and the virtual course is very reasonably priced and you will not regret it. You know, that will be something that, you know, could change your life. All right. I want to move to, uh, a topic stage four cancer you do not hide the fact that you have stage four cancer and that you're battling it and before before we came on I asked this question and we decided to you know allow you to answer it on here because I've I've had this thought you know like being an R factor guy I mean I mean you know the creator of you know like your response from the outside has got to be great all the time, right? Because you're skillful. Was there, you know, when you, when you get diagnosed, and I think that was, you know, three or four years ago, was there a period of time where your mind wasn't right and you did not respond appropriately for you that took you, you know, a little time to, get your mind right to get to, to pause, to get your mind right, to, to use the system, you know, was that hard? Was that a time? Was there a time frame in there? You know, like what, how would yeah. you answer that? 
It's a little bit of a delicate question, John, and I want to be careful here uh, for a couple of reasons. That when you get diagnosed with terminal cancer, which mine is, and um, and there's a lot of people out there who have cancer uh, and or are going to be diagnosed with cancer who will hear this. And I want to say to them, you need to handle it your way. I'm not one to tell other people how to deal with this horrible disease. You've got to find your way how to respond to it. I can only speak to my journey. I do think the skills and the system that we teach is enormously helpful to navigate adversity like cancer, but I don't want to be presumptuous. And I, now that I've been in my fourth year battling against cancer and, and going to so many hospitals and clinics and meeting people, I'm just very sensitive and supportive of others. And for me, it's love and empathy and listening first uh, and advice second, if somebody wants it. Having said that, here is my experience. And this does go back to something that we teach. If you practice the R factor consistently, the way that we teach it, you will learn to do it at speed with skill under pressure. Let me repeat that. If you learn how to practice the R factor, the way that we teach it, cumulative impact of daily behavior, discipline behavior, repeat it over time. You learn how to press pause. You learn how to get your mind right. You learn how to step up quickly. You look like one of the things you step up to is adversity. Sure. Adjust and adapt. If you learn this stuff, you can do it at speed with skill under pressure. And it takes time. You're not going to be great at it right away. You're not going to be great at it in the first week or necessarily the first six months. Better. You'll be better at it. Every time you do it, you get a little bit better, like sure. incremental, right? Like your your weight, your journey in fighting weight. It's incremental. It's incremental. Sure. It's incremental. John, I've been teaching this for 40 years. The number of times I've repped this in my life, and I thought ahead, and I and I, I actually practice, have practiced one of the stoic principles of memento mori. I, I've thought about my mortality. Sure. I've thought about. I was thought. I'm a big believer. Is don't be surprised by adversity. Be prepared. So I thought ahead years ago. What would happen if I ever get diagnosed with cancer? And I ran through R factor scenarios years ago. Sure. I'm sitting in my doctor's office, who's a friend of mine. He comes in and says, Tim, the tests have come back, and it could not be worse. Your Gleason score is this. It's stage four. It's not curable. You have terminal cancer. John, I smiled, and I said, well, I've trained my whole life for this. Wow. It's a privilege to be chosen. No BCD. It's E plus R equals O time. Let's go do this. Mm. Tears are streaming down his face. He's going, is that that thing you teach? And I said, <laughs> no. I said, no. It's a thing I do. And I, it kicked in right away for me. Why? Because I'm special? No. I'm not special. 
I had just repped it so many times that when that E hit, like I'm a big believer in this, uh, and I teach this during Step Up. I think the ultimate R factor question is this that triggers the whole thing. What does this situation require of me? The question people ask when, when bad things happen that gets them into trouble is, why me? Right. No, no. I've learned to jettison that from my life. I stopped asking why me a long time ago, John. Sure. When stuff happens, I ask myself, what does this situation require of me? Not how do I feel. Not what's popular. Not what's easy. What's required. And sometimes the required R is really difficult and painful, but it's the right one. That's been my question. That's been my 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 win the moment, win the day, what chemo. I'm going through chemo right now. I mean, this, look at this. This is not me. This is chemo me. Sure. Although I do like this rogue hat. I like this red <laughs> rogue. It's got the weight stuff on it, you know. Sure. Um, and this is my second time doing chemo. I, I did chemo yesterday. It's my third round. I was in the chair for three hours yesterday, getting that stuff poured into my own body. And, and what's, what's amazing, and I told this to a colleague and to my wife, I don't know why, but I did it all 2020 chemo. And, I'm, and, and, I'm, I, 20, and that's when I got diagnosed. And by the way, not only was I doing chemo in 2020, if you recall, that was when COVID was raging. Yeah. So I did cancer, chemo, and COVID in wow. 2020. That's, that's quite a year, right? right? And I'm just learning how to fight cancer. And I've done all kinds of stuff since then, you know, immunotherapies and surgery, all kinds of stuff. And so I didn't know exactly what this next round of chemo would be like. John, I am stronger physically and mentally now going through chemo than I was in 2020. Wow. And I think that's because I, I, I keep training. I'm in the weight room all the time. I do whatever I can. And also, I also rest when I need to. Sure. It's the doctors impressed up on me from day one. Don't overdo it. And you know, all this stuff makes you really weak and tired. I'm on hormone meds. I have been on hormone meds from the beginning, which are awful. But I just train and I'm, I'm not special. I'm just, I just, I work at it. And so I, I, and I'm, I, all I can say to people is you're going to get adversity. If you haven't gotten, if you listen to this and adversity hasn't struck you or your family, you are so fortunate. But wait, it's going to happen. Yeah. So the question is not when's it going to happen. The question, or is it going to happen? The question is when and how we respond when it does. And and I, I'm telling you, prepare now because it's going to happen. And don't let adversity catch you unprepared. That's that's, and I hope that answers your question. It um, did. Um, now, it have I had moments of emotion? Sure, absolutely. There've been, you know, there's been a lot of emotion. When I say at speed with skill under pressure and what does this require of me? That doesn't mean I'm, I'm emotionless. Sure. Did I when I went home from the diagnosis did my wife and I cry? Yes. When I called BK and, and my other son Carrie and we talked about did I cry? Yes. Why? Cuz there's sadness involved in that. Sure. But still, what's my job? And the thing is that I can tell you this with absolute 
uh, clarity. I've never allowed negativity to enter my mind in this whole thing. Never. Some sadness, yes, because that's appropriate. Sure. Absolutely. If you get come over cancer and you're not sad about something, there's something wrong with you. But I'm not scared and I'm not mad. I'm not afraid. And I'm not negative. Literally no BCD. No wow. blaming, no complaining, no defending. None. Zero. And that's, I think, the, the greatest mental contribution I've made to this battle so far. Man, that is awesome. You know, it, it's it's another reason why people need to, you know, invest in the R factor because adversity is coming. It's coming to all yeah. of us, right? I mean, you're either coming out of it, in it, or going into it. Like, it is going to be there. Let me ask you this, and I'm, I'm not sure the answer. You know, when today um, – you know, like when today, what does that mean to you? And has that been, you know, when you were diagnosed and you were skilled in, you know, how to respond, was that dialed up any or was, you know, was there no change there? You know, like what does when when today mean to you? And did that take on a new meaning, you know? Or was that the way life, you know, like there was no, there was no change. You've won the day for, you know, a long time since you learned this process. Well, there's no question when you get a stage four cancer diagnosis that everything ramps up, everything gets amplified. Everything that I teach got amplified. It's I call R factor on steroids. Is how sure. I describe it. Sure. You know? It's where it gets very real. So all of these R factor disciplines just mean more to me. I, I think I, I, I've always been a student of it, John. I, I, I'm a student of it first. I'm a doer of it second and a teacher sure. of it third. That's, a, that's really important. My awareness of what does it mean to press pause, don't react, respond. What does it mean to get my mind right and not allow negative thoughts, negative stories to enter in just became so much more amplified for me. And then under step up, which is our third R factor discipline, the first one is win the moment, step up and win the moment. And, and the way you win the day is you got to win the moments in the day. Sure. You don't really win the day. You win the moments in the day. And you're not going to win all of them. Our big statement is just don't lose two in a row. Sure. If you lose a moment, step back and use the system. Press pause to regain your clarity. Get your mind right to regain the right kind of emotional energy and step up and win the, win the next one. That got amplified for me. And then the other thing that, that and they, they say it all the time, and then when they try to coach you and counsel you about, about cancer and other stuff like this, is take it day by day. Well, they're absolutely correct. And I think as I share with you, maybe you heard it on a different podcast, or we talked about it before this one, was that when my wife and I talk about it, and particularly when we get bad news about stuff, which, by the way, I got bad news yesterday at the hospital that you know things are trending in the wrong direction, which happens at this stage of the thing. Sure. The thing, the way I frame it in my mind is that I'm, I'm focused on the life I'm living, not the death I'm facing. At the end of it, cancer will take everything. But between now and then, I give it nothing. Sure. I, I get today. My wife and I get today. My family and I get today. My business and my, we get today. And I'm not going to be dead tomorrow. And I get tomorrow when it shows up. So the day I have available to me to live for my purpose, 
the day I have available to me to talk to you and then whoever listens to this podcast is today. I'm not going to allow what, what may happen in the future to take away from today. So winning today is all about this. Do not allow the future or the past to rob you of the only day you have to live greatly. Now, the past and the future are thieves if you let them be. Don't let them steal anything from you. Wow. And the emotion that I warn people about is, is resentment or anger about the past or fear about the future. Jettison that, folks. I'll say it again. The past and the future can be thieves that robbed you of the only day you have available to you mm. to live your life for greatness. Today, do not let resentment or anger steal uh, today. Resentment or anger about the past. And don't let fear or anxiety about the future steal today. Live it today. And, and that I had built into my life prior to this, and then it served me, and it got amplified. Sure. I mean, and and do you know? Do I think about like what's it going to be like when I die? And 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 what? And yeah, that stuff creeps in. Sure, sure. But then, as soon as that stuff pops in, what do I know to do? Press pause, get my mind right, step up, and win the moment. And and so I I think the big message that for me is so meaningful and so purposeful is, and I'm just one guy. I'm just one person on this journey. But if anybody can learn for their own life and something happened in my life, to me, that's that's fulfilling. Like that's no that's my purpose. No doubt. You know? So if people can take something from this conversation and apply it to stuff going on in their life, man, you and I have had a successful conversation today. If no that doubt. happens. TK, if we could bottle, if we could just bottle the, you know, get rid of the the prison of the past or the prison of the future. Yeah. And appreciate today and be the best that we can be today. Like we could make a lot of money because that is a big need for that in the world that we live in, you know, and that is something that I try to think about every single day of my life, man, is yeah. to be yeah. great today, you know, like to, to try to help somebody else's life today. You know um, I think that's awesome. I got a couple of quick questions. I asked, Hey, let me let me let me just yes. add one more thing here. A negative attitude is a prison where the lock is on the inside of the door. Mm. A negative attitude is a prison cell where the lock is on the inside of the door. You don't have to be behind bars to be incarcerated. And the number of people today who have put themselves in a self-made prison of negativity. is staggering and growing. I hope then again, this conversation, if there's somebody listening who needs sure. to unlock themselves from a prison of negativity that they discover, Hey, that locks within my control. Yes. I have a, I have a friend, Damon West, my coffee bean friend said he meets a lot more people imprisoned outside of prison than he met inside of prison. There's a lot more yeah. people in prison with their thoughts. No doubt about it. You know, and I agree yep. 100%. Yep. Um, okay. My next question is, I asked my wife when I, when I talked to Brian, give me a question to ask him. And this was the question she wanted to ask him. And I'm going to ask you the same question. Is there ever a case where doesn't matter, get better, doesn't work? No, 
but you have to understand what it means. Sure. Well, let me tell you what Brian said, and I would imagine this is what you would say. He said the exact same thing. No, it always works. And he said, now let me use my dad and the cancer diagnosis. Does it matter? Get better. Does not mean it doesn't matter? Like that's not that that's that that's not what it means. But what it does mean is we get better through it. We get better. Yes. We dial in on, you know, relationships with each other or relationships with the grandkids or we get better, you know, like it doesn't Correct. Mean, it doesn't matter. So I would assume that would where you was kind of going to go with that, but that's where your son went with it. And I thought that was fantastic. Well, that, that, that BK is a well-trained kid then he's, he's, <laughs> been, he's been properly taught and discipled on that. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, that um, everything is going to be okay. It doesn't mean, but it, it's, it's, it really goes back to the, win the day, win the moment doesn't matter. Get better. It's about my mindset. It's about bring best version of you to whatever situation you're in. That's what it means. And if you discover that there are some elements about you that aren't as good as they need to be to deal with that thing, then go get better at dealing with that thing. It's really more about doesn't matter. Get better is don't let the E take your power away. Sure. Don't let the E take your power away. I, in a great analogy we use in our workshops is when people drive their cars. Someone tailgates you. I mean, I ask it all the time. What? How do you respond when someone take, tailgates you on the highway? And particularly, if it's like you're in the fast lane. There's some traffic ahead of you. You can't go faster. Someone comes up behind you, flashes their lights at you. They're clearly agitated. You're in their way. And everybody's going to speed, right? Sure. How do most people react? Negative, default, no flip somebody the bird, right? They, 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 It's always, not always, but the vast majority of people, well, they don't have to do that. They have other options available to them. And my answer to them is don't let that person behind you driving badly and unsafely rob you of your own safety and peace of mind. Doesn't matter, get better. And we've all had those experiences where, because it triggers in us negative emotion, right? We get angry and frustrated and combative when people do that or cut us off on the highway. And you line up 100 people and ask them, what do you do when you're tailgated? 90% of them react poorly and make the sit- situation worse. Sure. But the, the doesn't matter, get better means that you're not going to change the tailgater. It means bring best version of you to that situation. Sure. Don't let that person or that situation, that E, rob you of the ability to choose a wise and effective and safe response. Press pause, gain clarity, check your rear view inside your mirrors, signal, move over, and let them go. Don't fight with them. Don't try to combat with them. And, and, and there's one, a classic example of the more you rep that, you get better at speed with skill and pressure. When we teach that in the workshop, the vast majority of people go, I'm not going to be able to execute that. that. That's awfully hard to do. And then they'll come back a week or two later and say, you know, I drove home that day from the workshop and someone tailgated me. What popped into my head was, press pause, sure. get your mind right, step up and move over. And he goes, it was hard. And I, 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 no, I, I will, I will, I will confess when I drove by, I gave him the finger, you know, <laughs> but at least I moved over, you know, sure. 
but that's an example of of when you say does the doesn't matter get better is there a situation where it doesn't apply no it always applies because we are always pursuing best for or should should be pursuing best yeah. version of ourselves hey, you know what and the great thing about life is this life is going to provide you practice ground for the r factor the rest of your life you know like and if you're not good enough today be better tomorrow you know like the car thing has you know that was one that really stuck out to me because it is the opportunity to practice you know like because sometimes probably a lot of times people's worst behavior skills come out in a car you know what i'm saying like it, it's unbelievable like like you are affecting the people in the other car you know what i'm saying it is unbelievable well here's a stat john Forty thousand people are killed annually in the united states because of bad driving those mm. are fatalities that's mm. that's not including injuries or or, or property damage Forty thousand people every year and that's way more a than- large portion of that is preventable you know oh, with huge tractor driving absolutely under the influence, um, yeah. you know, road rage, right? I mean, there's probably a lot yeah, of those, those, those 40,000 deaths are, are almost all universally attributable to the, to default reactions. Sure. Well, TK, man, I super appreciate you coming on here as, as I know we're running short on time. I could do, I honestly could probably do this for the next three or four hours and it would absolutely make my day. Um, but um, I can't because I have football practice and I'm sure you have a lot of uh, great things to do. I do want to ask you a couple of questions. Short answer. Number one, when will we get a book? I think it'll probably come at about nine or 10 months from now. So we're working and on it. I can't wait. I've been, I was on Brian about that. And Brian kept telling me um, I'm waiting on my dad to write one because I kept asking him the same question. Like, why, why right. you know, but. You know, but that's great. Yeah, we're 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 speaking of what I have to do this afternoon. I got manuscript stuff to work on this sure. afternoon. So well, it will be yeah. fantastic. I, I I cannot wait, you know, for that to happen. Um, what are two or three of all the leaders you've been around, the best leaders that you've ever been around in business, athletics, or anything? What are two or three of the best behavior skills that you see, you know, in all of them? Um, well, we have the, what used to be called lead. Now we now call relentless leadership. It's the same framework. It's the same content. We just call it relentless leadership. And there are six disciplines, six pillars in relentless. And those are the characteristics of elite leaders. Mm. And I, I can't deviate from those. They, mm. they are what great leaders do. And I, and I look at the best leaders that I know, they do all six of them. And there are three of them for building trust and three of them for achieving results. Yep. And as fast as I can, the trust triad is character, competence, and connection. Character, competence, connection, and achieving results on a foundation of trust is clarity, accountability, and support. So that's what elite leaders do. There isn't just one or two, there's six. They build trust through character, competence, and connection. They get results through clarity, accountability, and support. And one last thought, this is important. Strength in one does not compensate the weakness in another one. Sure. Sure. Do they have different, and I'm sure, do they have different levels of each one of those? Like if they're all present, you know, 
can character be a little less than something else? Does it matter? Get better. <laughs> it's a good answer. It's a good answer. But what, what led me to that question was I have been, I uh, just started watching the show, you know, about the Gators and Urban Meyer and, you know, what comes out really quick in that show about Urban is extremely competitive, like extremely competitive, you know, and that's, I don't know. I just, I was thinking about that with levels of various traits, you know, is that something that, you know, um, well, the, the reason why and you, we've talked about systems, the reason why the, the, the relentless leadership system is so important is each of the six affect the other five. Sure. That's the way systems work and the extreme competitiveness, which urban demonstrated there got out of control. Sure. And he experienced negative consequences in his own health, mental and physical, because of it. Sure, no doubt. Which he readily acknowledges. And in fact, if people have not read the article, uh, I'm not the lone wolf, I would that's the, his struggle with that extreme competitiveness. And then how he's learned and part of it through our teaching at Ohio State, he was able to get a handle on a lot of it. Um, but that's why the six matter in there, John. And yeah. it's and you know, fire can cook your food or burn your house down. <laughs> Understood. And 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 competitiveness is awesome, but you've got to put it in context. It's got you've got to be perspective. Understood. That 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 um is is a great. I get that. You know, fire can do two things. Competitiveness can do two things. Like a lot of those, you know, um, doesn't matter. Get better, right? Keep getting better. This is my last question, and we'll we'll I promise you, I'll stop because you go to USC. OK, and you're going to be, you know, the leadership coach and you're going to start like what do you start with? You know, like what what is day one? Culture blueprint. OK. Which I worked out with, with Lincoln before. You know, the first thing we presented to the football team was the performance pathway. Yep. Leaders create culture. Culture drives behavior. Behavior produces results. Leadership, culture, behavior, results. And the culture is the standards. What are the cultural standards of USC football, which Ur uh, Urban Lincoln and I worked sure. on right hard? And it has to be his, not mine. Sure. Like when I did it for Urban at Ohio State, I, I didn't create his standard. He did. I just gave language to it and structure and system. Sure. Same thing with Lincoln. The standards are up there in the USC team room. That was the very that's the first place we start. Second thing is E plus R equals O. That's awesome. Well, TK, man, what a great, what a great hour it's been. It's been absolutely fantastic. I think it's going to, you know, help a lot of folks. I think there's going to be a lot of folks listening to this that absolutely love it. I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate Ashley working with me through you to help work this out. You know, like you didn't have to do this. You chose to do this. And I'm very appreciative um, of the time that you take that have taken today. If you've listened to this and you enjoyed it, send it to a friend. Let somebody else enjoy what this last hour has been, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and until next time, have a great day and adios, amigos.